The first reading is taken from Isaiah 55, verse 1 to 9, which is found in your Bibles on page 704. Come, all you have, all you have, let's start again. Come, all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen, that you may live. I will make an everlasting covenant with you, my faithful love promised to David. See, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you, know, you, do know, you do not know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteousness their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon for my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. The second reading is taken from the book of Luke 13, verses 1 to 9, which is found in your Bibles on page 988. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Gal Galileans whose blood Pilate is mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloman fell down, do you think they were more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree going, growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, For three years now, I've been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year, and I'll dig round it and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, then cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you very much for that, Sarah. John, after the 9.30 service, this couple came over to me and said, isn't that the man that's usually playing the keyboard? <laughs> so you're very famous. <laughs> You're not going to sing it to us, are you? Sing the You're going to sing the sermon? Yeah. <laughs> Please don't. <laughs> Shall we pray together? Heavenly Father, be with your servant, John. Be in him as he delivers us your word and brings to us a way of living that we need to embrace. And be with all of us in our hearts and minds to appreciate what John is saying to 
bring it into our own hearts and to relate it to our lives with you. In Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Do you find yourself asking why? Do you live in a household where you have children who like to ask why, why, why? Uh, maybe you open the newspaper in the morning or uh, get your phone up, uh, go to the BBC or another news app and start looking through the news articles and asking yourself why. Why did this happen? What have they done to cause this? If you'd have opened the app this morning, you'd have found an article on a cyclone in Mozambique with over 400 people killed. There was a road accident yesterday in Birmingham. There were three and five-year-old injured. You'll read about a cruise ship off the coast of Norway where they've had to evacuate over a 1,000 people that were on that ship, some of whom have got serious injuries from the tidal conditions. Maybe you've been reading or following the news stories of Christchurch in New Zealand and the Muslims that have been killed. And you might have been asking yourself that question, why do these bad things happen? Why does hardship come to some and not others? And you may have asked yourself that question, have they done something wrong? Have they done something to deserve this? I've done my fair questioning of why. Uh, a number of you will know my professional background is as a paramedic. Uh, you might recognise this photo. This is uh, King's Cross, this green bar here. It says King's Cross up here. Uh, this is my ambulance. This is Paul, one of my students. This is the King's Cross bombings in 7-7. Did I ask myself why on the way back from that? Yeah. And in my practice as a paramedic, uh, where I'd been to children that had been injured or had died, or to parents who'd been left, or to a whole range of other disasters, did I find myself asking the question why? Absolutely. And this is where we find the people who were with Jesus this morning. And the reading we heard from Luke 13 is the, the lectionary reading for this morning. So all around the world, uh, any church following the lecturing today will be looking at these two readings, one from Luke and one from Isaiah. And if we turn to that passage, you'll see that they're coming with this why question. And it kicks off with two disasters that will have been well known to the people that met Jesus that morning. And they're asking that why question. The first disaster that's cited there is uh, one where, where the Galileans have been uh, crucified. Uh, it talks about the blood being mingled. And it, uh, it refers to Pilate having done this. Now, we don't know because the, the, the passage doesn't expand and we don't find this parable anywhere else in, in the Gospel readings. And we don't have a record in history of, of what they're referring to. However, if we look in historical records, we do find another incident which will give us some background to this. Um, which involves Pilate. 
So before the time of Jesus' ministry, Pilate had asked the Jews to pay um, a bit more money in tax. He was quite famous for doing this. Um, and uh, they'd, they'd done that, but they'd got a bit fed up and they'd uh, decided that they were going to protest, a bit like us and Brexit. They decided to go and protest. Uh, so they'd gone up to uh, where Pilate was, a whole group of them, to protest about the fact that, they're, um, that, that they'd had to pay this money. Um, and we see in the historical record that what Pilate, as he finds out this is going to be happening, does is he gets some of his soldiers to dress up as commoners, as Jewish people, and go and mingle with the crowd. And at his command, the soldiers pull out daggers and crucify them. So uh, we can understand here uh, the sort of character behind Pilate. We know as we head towards Easter, the sort of character he was. And this first disaster that we see in this reading um, is likely to have been along those lines. There will have been uh, the death. You might have read in a newspaper on that day, 30 dead among Pilate's revenge. And the second incident that we see referred to here is that of a tower collapsing. And it, it refers to 18 people having been killed. The Tower of Asylum collapsed. You might have seen, if we were reading this in the newspaper today, the victims of the Asylum Tower as the headline, much as we've just read some of those stories that are relevant here today. So the people are coming before Jesus with two incidents that are well fresh in their mind, well known to the people. One, a disaster, a deadly disaster from the hand of man, and one, a natural disaster, or in some of our insurance policies, might be read as an act of God. And so this passage probably does have relevance for us today, because we know of attacks that are at the hand of man, the New Zealand attacks, the 7-7 bombs, and disasters that occur um, seemingly of nature, cyclones, tsunamis. So they come to Jesus and uh, they're asking this question of why. They want to understand why it has happened. Why have these 18 people been killed? Why have whatever number died at the hands of Pilate? And at this time, we've got a specific underpinning notion of the Jewish people. And they believe that bad things should happen to bad people. And therefore, good things happen to good people. Their view was of a God that stood in judgment over uh, people. And therefore, there must be a direct relationship between the hardships that people were experiencing um, and the, uh, the sin that they were enduring and, and the judgment of God. So how does Jesus go on to answer this why question? Well, if we turn and we see in verse 2, so the disaster's explained, and uh, they're, they're coming before Jesus. I think he might have been a bit annoyed with them, but they're saying, why, why, why did this happen? And he answers, do you think that the Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans before they, because they suffered this way? So he starts by asking a, a question. So instead of giving them an answer, he, he gives them a question. And I think it goes back to this notion that they had this widely held belief that it must have happened to them because they were greater sinners. So they must have done something. And Jesus is correcting them by saying, do you think that they are worse sinners? And it's a rhetorical question. Jesus goes on to answer, I tell you no. With an exclamation mark. I think he might have been a bit annoyed. So, um, so he goes on to say, I tell you no. It's not because they were worse sinners. He didn't say they were innocent, note. He just said that they were no worse. And he goes on to make this point again about the attack in Siloam where the 18 uh, have been uh, killed by the collapsing tower. 
And we, we see him reiterate, I tell you no, that they were no worse. They were equally guilty before God. Charles Spurgeon, a famous speaker from the 1800s, uh, goes on to say this. You can find it in this book, Sermon Classics by Great Preachers. You want to read it. Uh, Is it true the wicked man sometimes falls dead in the street, but has not the minister fallen dead in the pulpit? It is true that a pleasure boat in which men were seeking their own pleasure on a Sunday has suddenly gone down. But is it not equally true that the ship which contained none but godly men who were bound upon an excursion to preach the gospel has gone down too? Try to make the same point that bad things happen and good things happen, but they happen equally. So Jesus doesn't answer the why question. He changes the focus. He doesn't explain why hardships are coming to these people, why the tower has fallen, but he goes on to challenge them about what do they need to do in these situations. What does it mean for us as individuals before God? And he says in his reply, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. And he says it twice in these first five verses. So it's a call to repentance. Um, rather than answering why, he changed it to a what. What do you need to do? And the answer is that we need to repent. So in just these first five verses, in the midst of the disasters that are happening, we see Jesus challenging the common assumptions that were there of the people at that time. The first one that he challenges and uh, answers is suffering is, is proportional to sinfulness. He says, no, that's not the case. That tragedy is a sure sign of God's judgment. He says, no, not in this case. That bad things only happen to bad people. He says, no. And lastly, I think he starts to allude towards the fact that it's not right for us to make such judgments. I think the explanation mark on the end of the no tries to tote the idea that he's saying, why are you even asking the why question? Uh, you, you don't need to go and judge these other people about why this has happened to them. He turns it into an exercise about all of us understanding that we're equally guilty before God and all of us need to repent. And as he often did, he went on to try and explain this further in a parable. And we see the parable of the barren fig tree, uh, a difficult parable to read. Who's got a fig tree? No one. You're the 930 service, there were two people had fig trees. Um, <laughs> so uh, I'm not a gardener. Um, uh, for any of you who've been around to my garden, you'll know that. Uh, so I had to do some research to understand uh, the context of this parable and, and the understanding of fig trees. So I've done a bit of research, and uh, what I found out is that fig trees um, uh, tend to produce lots of fruit. They're very plentiful. They're, they're a good tree to have, should you want to plant one in your, in your garden. Um, and this is what I discovered. They grow in really harsh soil. In fact, here's a picture of a fig tree growing on rocks. It doesn't need any soil at all. And that is a big fig tree. Um, so uh, this, you can imagine the, the, the land, so uh, they, they grow in really harsh areas. They don't need very much water. They don't need very much nutrients. Um, and uh, they tend to harvest in the Mediterranean, although only once in the UK, uh, twice a year. 
So twice a year, you'll have figs that come on the fig trees. So this is the context. They'll have all have understood this. The people that Jesus was telling the parable to will have understood, here's a fig tree. Fig trees um, uh, grow on really difficult, tough, harsh conditions. They don't need much water. They don't need much nutrients. And yet they produce lots of figs and they do that twice a year. And so we see the parable has got three different characters within it. There's the man, the man who owns the vineyard. There's the gardener and there's the tree. And the majority of the commentators uh, go on to explain this as uh, the vineyard owner being God the Father, the gardener being Jesus, and the tree being the people of Israel. Uh, Important to note, although I'm not going to explore it today, that that isn't uh, what all of the commentaries say, but it's by far the most common way uh, to look at this parable, and that's how we're going to explore it together this morning. So the first character in this is the vineyard owner. And uh, he, he owns the vineyard. I think that's, that's important. Um, and uh, as I reread this, uh, another important notion. He's a vineyard owner. So what should he be planting in the vineyard? Yes. So you're expecting lots of grapes. But this story is about the fig tree. Now, I don't know if he was going to have a cheese and wine party with some figs <laughs> on the side. But for whatever reason, he's got a very definite view that he wants a fig tree. And you'll note in the the Bible reading, it is a singular fig tree for a specific purpose. In his vineyard, he's purposely deciding he's going to have a singular fig tree. And maybe this alludes to something about us. If we consider that we've got a specific purpose amongst all the people, there's a fig tree for whatever purpose that may be, a singular fig tree. And he comes looking for fruit. And we see in this parable that he comes um, year after year looking for fruit. And if it's a singular fig tree in a multitude of vines, maybe that explains something. He wants a specific fruit from this specific tree at this specific time. And maybe we might read this parable and think, well, why is it so bad it doesn't bear fruit? But actually, if we think about it in the context that he wants his cheese, wine and a bit of figs, then actually it does become important. It becomes important that it's got a purpose. It's there for a reason. And if we think about this parable in context, is it that God is looking for fruit and yet the people, the people of Israel are turning away? So the second character we see in this parable is the gardener. And to note that the gardener has actually the same goal as the vineyard owner. He wants the tree to produce fruit as well. They both do. They want to eat of the fruit of this tree. The gardener and the vineyard, the man, are on the same page. So if we think about this parable, what is the fruit that we might be talking about if we think about ourselves? Two more readings that I just want to... that talk about fruit and give us some insight into this. So in Romans chapter 7, that you'll find on page 1070, and we read chapter 7, verse 4, it says, So my brothers and sisters, you also died to the law through the body of Christ, that you might belong to another, to him who was raised from the dead, in order that we might bear fruit for God. For when we were controlled by our sinful nature, the sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in us so that we bore fruit for death. But now by dying to what once bound us, 
we have been released from the law so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. So a suggestion there from Romans that if we are in Christ, we will be bearing fruit. And if we turn to Galatians chapter 5 that you'll find on page uh, 1107, we see that famous list of of the fruits of the Spirit, the outward signs of being born in Christ. Chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. So as we think about this parable, what is the fruit that they're coming to look for? There's some other bits that we can learn from this parable. We see the owner has come for three years consecutively. And we think about the character of God. What does this tell us? Well, I think it's that he's patient, that he gives us second, third, fourth, fifth chances. Think about this in the context of what we understand by fig trees in the Mediterranean. They would um, produce fruit twice a year. So three years would be six lots of harvest that have come and gone. The people hearing this would have understood that. And we go on to see what the solution is. The solution from the gardener is that he's going to show special care towards this tree because they've got this objective of bearing fruit. He's going to surround it with fertiliser. He's going to water it. He's going to tender it. And again, thinking about what we know, this might have landed slightly oddly with these people. You don't need to do that to a fig tree. A fig tree doesn't need fertiliser, doesn't need watering. Fig trees grow on barren land. But yet this is what he's saying. This is the extra care that's going in. Ultimately, though, we do see in this passage, in this parable, that they do agree together uh, that there would be an end, that the the vineyard owner, the man, uh, is in charge, that judgment will come. I think we can learn from this parable that we worship a God who is looking for fruit, a specific fruit for us, the singular fig tree. He wants to help us grow the gardener, the place of his spirit if he's living in us. But a time will come when judgment will come. We were reminded of this not so many weeks ago in Ash Wednesday and our fragility as human beings. The gardener agrees with the vineyard owner that a time will come where the tree has to be cut down. But yet they also both agree to give it another go, that grace would last for another year, where the Holy Spirit, where Jesus would intervene, would give the support needed. It's a hard reading. It's a hard parable to understand and to hear. But it reminds us of our need to repent, but also of our need to understand that God's mercy and judgment are a core part of our faith. I think the challenge for us this morning as we hear this passage is how do we use the time we've got? What sort of tree 
will we be with the time we have left? The ask is to be fruitful. God's watching, the gardener comes, the gardener's there to help. But the vineyard owner will return. How are we going to use the time we have left? As a paramedic and as I, uh, when I was practicing frontline, we uh, fill in a patient care record, so um, the bit of bureaucracy, when we have to write down what, what's happened. And we go through a series of questions. If you've ever had to uh, be treated by a paramedic, call 999, and we ask them your name and your date of birth and your address and your gender, that sort of stuff. Um, and we ask you your religion. And I always found this a fascinating question to ask um, and to put it down, because the majority of people don't get up in the morning thinking something's going to happen to them and call 999. And uh, you put them in the back of an ambulance and something has happened to them. And uh, they would generally, uh, or either people would come straight out, maybe like the people in this room and say, well, I'm a Christian. Um, uh, but for a number of people, they would look, look around and see who else is there. And why are you asking this question? Why do you even need to know my religion? Uh, what's, is, is the end near? Um, and actually, they, they, I, by far the majority of the time did people record something, uh, and it might not have been a religion, but included things like Church of England, Methodism. But, so, uh, but we, we recorded that down. Look at the census results from 2011. You'll find that 25% of people in this country say they have no religion. And yet my experience would be that when we think that time is getting near, we start asking ourselves the question, what's it about? How long have I got left? How am I going to use that time? It's also true from my experience responding to 999 calls that people do not get up thinking they're going to have a stroke, they're going to have a heart attack, they're going to crash their car. And it causes them to reflect, how am I using my time? Are you the tree in the garden that only has a year left? None of us know. What is, what is it that we're going to use our time for? What fruit have we been called to bear? What sort of fig tree is, is our responsibility before God? I think this parable is actually a call to action. It's definitely a call to repent. But it gives us this notion that in this case, the tree had another year left to be fruitful. And it was going to get support and it was going to be fertilised and it was going to be watered. The parable challenges us to think about our time. Not to keep asking the why question of hardship. Why has this happened? Why has happened? But what? What am I going to do in response to where I find myself living in 2019? I don't think it's an accident, as the lecturer has put together, that we see the other passage in Isaiah 55, so page 704, that we heard Zara read to us. The title to this passage from Isaiah is an invitation in, in in a number of Bibles. And what we see here is the invitation about living as Christians. So in verses 1 and 2, it talks about an invitation to be richly fed, come to the waters. In verses 3 to 5, we see an invitation to be led by Christ, to put our focus on him. Here and your soul shall live, an everlasting covenant with our God. In verses 6 to 7, we see an invitation to forgiveness or to be forgiven. Let us return to the Lord and he will have mercy. Again, reminding us that we have an invitation to come and be forgiven if we repent. 
and those great verses we see in 8 and 9 that maybe give us a suggestion about why Jesus doesn't answer the question of hardship but moves us to what? Which is that God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. His, his ways are high above. It can and it will be hard where we find ourselves. It's not about asking why, it's about asking what. What sort of tree are we being called to be and how might we bear that fruit? And so the invitation this morning is to think about that. To understand how we might use our time left to both repent but to bear fruit in whatever minutes, hours, days, months, years that we have before the vineyard owner returns. And as we continue in this Lent season, as we move towards Easter, maybe it's a time to continually ask ourselves that question. What am I here for? And what should I be doing with my time? Rather than why is this happening to me or why is this happening to the world? And if we think about those fruits of the Spirit, both for ourselves, but for our wider community, what is it that God is looking for in the fig tree for us, for our church, for our country, for the world? And what part might we be playing within that? So we hear, as we conclude, that Jesus absolutely Um, probably annoyed with their why questions, turns it round to the present day. He challenges us with a what question. What are we going to do? How are we going to live? Shall we pray together? Lord, we thank you that you are the giver of life. That as we head towards Easter, we understand that we can come before you and be forgiven. And we're sorry for those times when we've not borne the fruit that you've desired of us. But Lord, we hear the challenge that your ways are not our ways. And although it can be hard and we can live in hard times, that instead of asking why, we realise that we need to say what What do you want us to do? What do you want us to be? And Lord, we thank you that you offer to be alongside us, that you will fertilise us, that you will water us so that we can indeed bear the fruit that you require of us. Lord, we thank you for this. In your precious name. Amen.